I'm Dave. I'm Rob. And I'm Richard. This week we're very pleased to be talking about episode 12, The Music Lovers, also known as The Music Master or The Stolen Musicians. First broadcast on the 29th of October 1971 on Friday at 10.10pm. Richard, what did you think of this one? I really enjoyed this one. It's a lot of fun to watch. I think it's one... Look, I mean, the, the, the main draw card is, is Henry McGee as the music master. I, I don't... You can't lie and say it's anything else. I mean, that, that really is the high point of the episode. And he is great. And this this is just a really... I think just a really fun episode. Yeah, Rob? Uh, yeah, I agree with Richard. I think it is really... It is a fun episode. Uh, the, a lot of the references to the musicians at the time I find amusing today. It's, it's interesting to see what was popular back then. I, I think it's just, just, just fun. It's, it, McGee's performance really, really does work. I think he pitches it really well. And there's some clever use of props towards the end of the episode. Yeah, look, I'm going to echo your comments. This is a personal favourite of mine. Again, it would be in my top five, top six. Interestingly, though, it could have been a very average episode. Not a bad episode, but an average goodies episode. But it is heightened, as you said, by McGee, but also by just a number of set-piece gags that are just brilliantly done and raise the whole thing up to a whole new level. So we'll get straight into it and... The premise actually comes across very quickly that musicians are being stolen. Now, gentlemen, the note that I made here is that television was obviously very different back then to what it is now because the idea that in prime time there were all these shows of people just singing <laughs> really does feel very quaint today. Well, I suppose there's sort of those variety type shows you don't really get them anymore. And I mean, you do occasionally hear people lamenting the, the death of live television. It's uh, now other than the footy show. Yeah, TV now is obviously it's incredibly scripted. It's incredible. It's very heavily produced. You don't want to offend anybody. You you vet everything before it goes to air. And yet the footy show still goes out. <laughs> <laughs> but even they have had they've had to rein it, wheel it right back. Mm. You can think of some of the things they did in the early days. Yeah, yeah. But there really aren't any of those sort of the person X show no, anymore. No. The closest thing these days would be your like the X Factor or. You know, whichever country's got talent, uh, I think that's the sort of closest thing you would probably. Have. It's the closest, but as Richard says, that's not built around the idea of tonight we're all going to watch Silver Black. Or no, he's. I mean, he, Liberace was probably the start of that concept. You take a celebrity or a well-known person, you and you build a variety show around them. So they'll have a few guests on. They'll come. I mean, the, the, again, probably something like the Graham Norton show or a talk show is probably now about the only thing that would be even mm. would would be comparable, perhaps. A, a, leaving aside something like X Factor, where, you know, you have a few guests on, you do some hijinks, you place, you have some Pratt jokes. It's not exactly the Ed Sullivan show, is it? No, no. But, you know... Clearly not. Yeah, so, we get into that. Uh, the musicians are being stolen. It's interesting how many of them we still recognise today, and there are a few that we don't. I want to make the point, though, as an Australian podcast, my only knowledge of Scylla Black is from her being in the goodies, or being sent up in the goodies. And it was actually amusing slash tragedy comic that when she died about a year, two years ago, I thought, oh, isn't that quite amusing? That, that woman who screeched in the goodies has died. And isn't it funny that... And then you find out, like, the whole of Britain's in mourning 
this person that had this whole career mm. afterwards as a singer and then a presenter and a sort of a, an elder statesman of British television that we just had no idea about. She was just this caricature from one episode of the goodies. It, it's interesting that some people who are extremely popular in one country have no crossover appeal anywhere else. I must admit, I mean, I know who know who Silver Black is now. Again, maybe because I'm old. Yeah, but or... do you know because of? No, I don't know because of the goodies. No, I mean, I remember her being on... And again, it would be that variety-type show. She yeah. would come on and do a performance. But, but were you surprised to hear that she'd been doing stuff right through the 90s and the 2000s? And uh, probably her later career. Look, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, around the goodies, contemporary with the goodies and prior, I knew she'd had a career before while they were making fun well, of her. Well, I mean, other than, the, other than the goodies, and this episode just... I mean, I'd completely forgotten the fact that she was sort of featured in part. The only other reason I know about her is reading in uh, DWB in the 90s that a couple of her episodes of her show or whatever yeah. had been found in Scandinavia somewhere. Right. So that's the only... I, I have no knowledge of her singing. No. I mean, I know she sung and she presented. I have no knowledge of any particular songs or anything I like mean, that. I mean, it's probably not... I mean, Nicholas Parsons perhaps is, is maybe the extreme of that because I don't think anything he did other than the Doctor Who episode he was in I don't think was ever screened here. I mean, he was a game show presentable. I mean, we obviously did our own local versions. And, and anything he did, I, I don't think ever was ever screened here. Tony Blackburn ever come out here? I'm not sure about Tony Blackburn. There'll be another one as well that I think we only know because of mm. the goodies. Uh, they then have a Rolf Harris joke. They Rolf have Harris three Harris references to Rolf they Harris. They do. That's quite a Rolf heavy episode. and um, We might talk a bit about that in the mm. later parts of the episodes. But... No, definitely some Rolf Harris jokes there. Again, they open with an outside broadcast. They do. They're sitting there watching the, the, the stage performance. Which is interesting. Well, two of them were watching it. I mean, Bill's Bill. sitting there. Well, he's actually sitting there. And the interesting thing is he's actually there with his lemon sherbet. Yes. Except now he's not having a hallucinogenic trip anymore, but he is still there sucking his lemon sherbet. Yes, that's obviously they've decided to tone that down, but retain Well, it. they were told to. Yeah. Um, that, that they couldn't have him, the, the, the thing of, you know, that that was a bit verboten, him <laughs> obviously going off on, on astral... <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it funny? Last week we talked about the ad being completely removed about the, the dreaded wheat. So sex is verboten. Drug use we can tolerate for a certain amount of time. Hmm. But then gets verboten. And then gets verboten. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But another example, though, of the goodies get involved in this for no other reason than they feel it's their duty mm. to go and find out what's getting, you know, get to the bottom of what's going on. So that leads them to them becoming uh, musicians. Fa famous musicians. Famous musicians. <laughs> and so you get the start of, I think, you know, that, that, that really good sequence. I mean, it opens with that, that wonderful bit of um, the, the banjo, the violin, and then... Tim on the triangle. triangle. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that actually, that's perfect, Tim, isn't it, really? That's it just is. the triangle. Yeah. Something simple that he can do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it moves on then to the next great gag, which is where they're going to learn the string section and they have the, the props where they take the cello out of the double yep. bass, the violin out of the cello, and, and then, oh, what can I play here? And then the triangle. It goes on. You then get to that wonderful segment of them playing their special version of Land of Hope and Glory, which I just think is a wonderful mm. rendition. Graham is clearly not playing the piano. And, no, no. Um, and neither another <laughs> Not Bill, not, not Graham, yeah. Well, I think Bill is playing the guitar off screen. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't think he's actually playing... He's certainly well, it's not, not plugged in. It's clearly not plugged no, in. No, yeah. he's clearly not singing live, but no. it's certainly him singing. It's actually very bad him singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's face it, Bill was not a, a performer. No. So he wouldn't be practising that, but... You know, it, it's a wonderful, and it plays on 
where we are now with the goodies, 12 episodes in, that their characters are so well established that you've got mm. Bill as the, well, I'm going to play the guitar and sing it rock style. <laughs> Tim is going to do the glee really singers good. with the, the, the falsetto yeah. high pitch. Yes. Uh, Graham using the computer and, and, and playing on the piano. Mm. And it, it, just, it just works so, so, so well. They, however, don't get stolen. But the no, the, the two do. backup singers do. That's right. <laughs> uh, and that leads into them deciding to do their Philharmonic Glee Club Rock and Roll Band Festival. Now, we've enthused about this episode, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say I actually found this montage sequence leading up to the ad break quite tedious. A bit tedious. I, I think, to, to say something, I, I think the second half of the episode is stronger than the first half. The first half is very much set up. And then they just unload in the second half mm. uh, where they actually meet the music master and then there's the whole sequence at the end where they're escaping. They, they go through and they obviously do the different types and, and some of those we use in the credits them as gospel singers Yes, mm. um, is, is recycled into the credits. Are they blacked up in that sequence? Uh, I, I don't think so. They've got those no. wigs on. They're so certainly they're wearing wigs. Afro wigs. Yes. I, maybe it was what I was seeing on YouTube that darkened their skin because of the quality of the print. But I, I didn't get that. Okay, fair no, enough. No, they're, they're certainly wearing Afro wigs. Yes. Or wigs. Yes. Um, uh, and they're... Are they meant to be women? I think so. They're yes. in, the, in the white, in the white dresses yeah. and, and, and the tambourines yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And, and look, there's some good visual prop stuff with the, the, the use of the timpani and... Yeah, and they go through and they're making lunch and they're, you know, they've yeah. got the barbecue I, inside look, the piano. Unlike you, Dave, I, I did actually enjoy that sequence. I thought... Okay. Um, the music genres that they were parodying were, were fine, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I think it is very much it's a setup for the second half of the episode. Once they get into, and then as I said, it just unloads. And really. you can forgive it, I suppose, if you don't like it because of the quality of the second half. I mean, if yeah. the second half was ordinary, then you'd be hitting it even harder. Yeah, no, mm. look, I'm not saying it was awful. It just I think it was a a pause in the, the quality. Okay. Mm. Of, of you know, we had just, we had some really good sequences leading up to it. As Richard says, the second half's brilliant. And so you just have this bit in the middle that's a bit of a lull. I've had it. It doesn't quite keep it up. But you guys enjoyed it more, so that's fine. But yeah, well, then we do hit the second half. They get taken to where they're... The, the secret hideout. The secret or hideout. Mansion or wherever it is in the recording <laughs> studio. kidnapped. Yes, that's right. Yes, and they then have, again, a look, another favourite moment of mine, which is the reveal of the music master. And Tim's, I wonder what he's like. And then... The pipe organ comes down. Oh, I do like, like to be beside, beside the seaside. <laughs> and out, out comes the organ. And, and it's really built up because he comes out and all yep. you can see is the front of it. And then it does the slow turn. And yes. then it's... <laughs> yes. It's prudently done. Um, I do... I, just even watching it again and again, because I've watched this episode so many times, the the, the little um, knobs at the front that stop the organ going over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did that. It does bounce yeah. on them very yeah. precariously. Yes, yes. It, it actually comes out, goes back a fraction, and it's yeah. set, yeah. and so it can get into the turn. Yeah. yeah. But no, it is wonderfully revealed. And then we get to Henry McGee. Mm. So look, we'll have a bit of a chat about him, because, look, uh, of, of goodies... Well, let's face it, the goodies have very few, if any, recurring characters outside of um, Call the Woodles, Woodles um, really? newsreader. And if you're actually going to say, you know, who was the goodies, Moriarty or, or Nemesis, <laughs> Henry McGee's character at least rocks up a couple of times and kind of is their, is their mm. bad guy, which it's, I think it's unique in the series. It is. I think he's the only recurring villain. Yeah, so look, let's talk about him. Um, very, very involved in a lot of that sort of comedy back in the day. Uh, probably his most famous work now would be he's in the 
video clip for Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. We, that's right. Um, Benny Hill. He, Benny did, Hill. He, did, he did quite a bit of work with Benny Hill. He did. Oh, that's right, yes. He did. And I get the feeling... Now, I read somewhere, and I haven't been able to verify by the sources, that his career did take a massive dive, hit about 1980, when the whole tone of British comedy almost changed overnight. And he was one of those actors or, or comedians, and there's a number of them, I mean... Most of the ones the goodies reference, actually, including the goodies themselves, arguably. Yeah, um, Eric they're, Sykes they're, is another. I think. Yeah, um, Tommy Cooper, mm. um, Benny Hill himself. There's just this whole generation of British comedians whose careers just die overnight when British comedy suddenly is taken over by Ben and um, Ben Elton. Ben Elton and well, Rowan Atkinson. Just on that point, Ben Elton and Benny Hill. Ben Elton's attack on uh, Benny Hill is absolutely savage. Mm. I was doing some reading last night. It's, I mean, it would be interesting to have an extended discussion about how British comedy changes in the early 80s. I mean, Benny Hill lasted until the end of the decade, but Ben Elton just goes to town on him, and it's really savage and really sad. Really sad. Yeah. And, and look, I think you're right. As we get towards that era of the goodies themselves, where they do get essentially knocked out mm. by new age comedy, I mean, you know, stuff like Not the Nine O'Clock Use, Blackout and The Young Ones, all this stuff just springs up. And these, this whole generation was just basically told, you know, thank you, but you're no longer required. Hmm. And Henry McGee, he does have some credits after there, but I do get the impression his career was one of them, hmm. which is a little bit sad because he's so good here. Now, we also have as a guest, and I guess he does, this is another recurring character as well. Gerald. We have Gerald as played by Norman Mitchell, who has got a truckload of credits. Uh, he was in Ripping Yarns. He was in an episode of Dad's Army. He was in an episode of Doctor Who. Was he? Which one? He was in The Feast of Stephen. But but honestly, if, if you get a moment, listeners, if you check out um, Norman Mitchell's IMDb or Wikipedia page, just look at his credits. There's so many shows I'm sure many of us have seen and seen him in, and he is one of those familiar faces, faces of British television. Was he a com- comedic actor or just an actor? All, all the above. I think he, he got pigeonholed more into the sitcom type work. Yeah. And, and playing characters, I think. The, I mean, I think the Gerald character who plays here is one that he got a lot of work doing. Yeah. But he certainly had other stuff, and yeah, for someone who you know, I don't think he ever really made it, so to speak. So he's sort of like he was um, constantly at work. Yeah, I was going to say he's sort of like there, there's an extra. There's a chap called Eight uh, Harry Fielder who was basically worked as an extra, but he's an extra in just about every popular British series yeah. you've ever seen. And, and he got to the point he was getting lines in a lot of them. He's in, he's in a couple of Doctor Who's, he's in Blake 7, he's in a lot of, lot of genre-type stuff. Okay. But, yeah, so I'm just wondering... No, I'm just wondering if we're sort of talking the same sort of deal with this bloke. Well, uh, it, look, it's probably a feature of working in television in the 60s and the 70s in the UK that you could be a part-time or a bit actor and appear in a whole lot of stuff. I don't know that you can do that now and survive. I don't think there's any roles for those sort of actors. Not as easily, no. no. And there isn't the... the, the homemade comedy in the way there was in the 70s as well. Yeah, true, true. They then get on and they are asked to um, make a hit record and you get the whole background of the Music Master, which again is you know, very funny. The um, uh, Julie Andrews rugby songs. And yeah, the, ma- the mash-up sort of the two disparate... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we get to our second Rolf Harris gag, which is the, the best of Rolf Harris. There's nothing on it. <laughs> yeah, then we get into the... Um, Attempts to force the goodies to make a record. Um, we get some more good references to various bands. It's it's funny looking back in 2016 
at the way they handled the Beatles. You know, this wonderful idea of we're going to get the Beatles back together. Bearing in mind it's only late 1971, so they've only been split up for about 18 months. Mm. And very clearly it's, it's known they can't stand each other at this point. <laughs> it's on for young and old in the cell. So. Yeah, it's, 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 look, it's a very funny gag, but it's... Um, I think because of the way the Beatles have sort of moved on now to just iconic status, and obviously two of them have passed away. Mm-hmm. The, the, once John passed away, the other three were able to reconcile mm. you know, enough to make a few songs together and, and the like. So Are we saying it's Yoko's fault? Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Uh, so that's good. Uh, any, any particular references in there that stood out for you guys? They, they referenced uh, Engelbert Humperdinck, which... By this time, I think they had started doing, because he had a, a show called Engelbert and the Young Generation, which again was another variety type show. And the goodies were doing filmed inserts for that they do a series of little skits that would be shown each week. Some of them are obviously recycled gags, but um, and sadly, I don't think any of them still survive. I don't think. I think, I think the Engelbert and the Young Generation has been lost in its entirety. I think in none of those. So um, he probably would be a bit topical for them. Plus, he was obviously well-known at the time. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we then get to our third Rolf Harris gag, which is arguably the most prescient of them all, <laughs> which is the threat to be locked in a prison cell with Rolf Harris. <laughs> well, someone's probably living that experience right now. There is to eat that right now. We move on, we move on. Look, the whole, probably the last 10 minutes of this, I think is just wall-to-wall hilarity. You've got the square dance, you've got the escape sequence. Um, so let, let, let's talk about them. What did you guys think of all that? Look, it's very inventive, isn't it, really? Uh, and, and amusing. You, you have the stuff where they, they, you know, they, wheel, um, they, they wheel out the cannon. And then, because you sort of have the bit where they're escaping from the guards, and then, of course, the music master comes along on his mobile. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can hear the, the wheel squeaking as it comes yeah. up. It's like a tank, yeah. Yeah, and then he comes on with the organ music. That's just a brilliant scene. A little again. mobile organ, and you just watch the front, you just watch the pipes lower. <laughs> yes, and then he then comes, up, comes up and does the John Pertwee um, pose. <laughs> yes, he does, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's all great. And, and but but the 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 clever use of music all the way through that, and it's almost Looney Tunes esque. If, mm. you, if you if you look at the way that they put it all in there, so you've got the the square dance, you've got the use of God Save the Queen, all the different sort of. Uh, Brahms lullaby to put them to sleep. Yeah, Brahms lullaby, absolutely. So all these lovely little musical gags that all work so well, but mixed in as you say with the prop humour. Yeah. You know, the moment when the music master comes over the hill, that's just it's just brilliant. You can't you can't say that enough and then he attacks them. Dare we say it's iconic? You probably could. It's a it's a big moment for them. I mean, mm. this is a a well remembered episode. episode. And they, and they've clearly gone to quite a bit of trouble to set it up too. Yep. I mean it would be a fair bit of work for the for the prop and effects guys. Mm. The penultimate segment, which is where the musicians come back to rescue the goodies. There's a lot of extras in there, mm. notwithstanding that they probably shot, you know, the same bunch from different angles. Yeah. But they're still even in, in, in one shot. You look at the, the very end when they all trip past the camera with the um, captured yeah. music master. There's a lot of extras. In yes, there. there is, and and they've obviously you know had to rig the rig the vi- so yeah. they'll shoot. Yeah, made yes. all the violins up and all the other props. So that, there's there's a lot of time and effort and mm. expense gone into those scenes. And again, you know, Beethoven's fifth uh, as the musicians come over the top and all that it's just it's just so well done it's well put together 
It is very well put together. And then we get to the final segment, which is the one that I think so many Goody fans can quote when um, Syl Black comes back to get a revenge. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That was Scylla Black, though. That is Scylla Black, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, actually, that she, it is her, but they don't actually even just have a, a split-second walk-on appearance no. where she comes in. It's, it's just it's just a, like just a recording, voice yeah. recording. So Maybe she wasn't available. Maybe. And so, yeah, look, it all finishes on a wonderful note. We've, we've raved about it. Any, any sort of general points we want to make before we move into our broader discussion? No, I, I thought it was a really good episode. I mean, look, there's a couple of bits you can pick up. One note I had here is there's a bit where they, at the very start, where they go back after the, the first lot of musicians are, are, are abducted and they go back to watch television and the CSO comes in. There's a chap called Kenneth McKellar who's about to, to come onto TV and the CSO comes in just or the Bill's line is too early or the CSO comes in a yes. fraction too late. Yep. That, that was just one note, random note I made while I was, um, while I was watching it. But Okay. So we definitely enjoyed that one. So we'll go into our segments, first of all being the adverts. We have our fifth version of the Beans Mean Teens ad. Now this is actually the last one for this season. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to miss them. Did I... Was I right... Am I right in saying that it's done on videotape and not on film? Uh, it appears to be I in think, studio. Yeah, studio. I think they were. I mean, look, you would imagine they'd have been recorded, obviously, in a block. Mm. Uh, you would think. I mean, I... I would have done them in one go. So, look, I don't know whether that one was recorded just, separately, perhaps, to the others, or whether they were just done in studio and then yeah. just dropped in as required. It is. And then we have um, one of my favourite goodie ads, actually, which is the Baldy Ink Remover. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's just one of those wonderful, uh, as we've mentioned a couple of times in the last few weeks, those subversions on what you expect the ad's mm. going to be. And it's actually about taking the ink off the guy's head. Yes, yes. It's like yeah. a telephone ad a few weeks The Heats Means Beans ad actually was, was a slightly fair, slight variation on the others because it's not him stumbling through his lines or being doing it under threat because he says, if I was a millionaire and a man of private means, I'd still, still eat my butt. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy a shadow in the house in front of lots of ladies with no clothes. <laughs> and <I'd> just think, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a nice variation on the theme as well. Uh, firsts and tropes. What's well, the first appearance of the music master? Yes. Yes. Very good. Or well, nasty person, as we later discover, he's oh, called. Okay. <laughs> yes, nasty person. Um, I had a couple. They're not. They're not first, but this is a one of the earlier uses of the, the phrase "you're a loony." Yes. And, and that starts to become a much more common trope, trope mm. as we go on. Mm. Yes. Uh, it's also interesting to have that moment where Tim turns around and says, "We are, in fact." The, the goodies, goodies. <laughs> in that idea that I think they the the, the implications that they themselves are starting to get this idea that they are actually uh, you know known by the public known organisation to, to to put things right yeah to the point that in a few weeks time when we, when we get to something like the baddies they're actually you know celebrities in their own right and you mm. see that starting to grow perhaps an indication that they themselves were becoming slightly more famous I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, well, I mean, I'm sure the ratings were, were pretty good for them at this point. Uh, well, the ratings certainly picked up for the second season as, as opposed to from night the first. On Sunday night? Well, I think so. Plus, they'd had the repeat season uh, on uh, BBC One because they were on BBC Two, uh, the new episodes. And so first series was on BBC One and they moved No, to no, no. They were all on BBC Two. Sorry. Okay. So they, they were shown on BBC Two the first season and then a few weeks before this season kicked off, yep. they did a repeat on BBC One. 
Okay. Did you have to have a separate license for BBC One and Two, or you just had a generic TV license? No, you just had a generic TV license. TV. Okay. So, yeah, which which rated much higher than the, than the original screenings on BBC Two, and seemed to have translated, I think, into into higher ratings when they came back for the new season, because obviously they picked up some new devotees um, who obviously want to come and you know come on board for the new stuff. Okay. So. Yeah, that's good. What couldn't they get away with today? Well, let's let's have the Rolf Harris discussion, shall we? Well, Rolf Harris looms li- not looms large, but he, he he is a running gag through the series up to a certain point, I suppose, isn't he? Yes, he is. So let, let's let's have the conversation. When Harris was arrested, convicted, and all the rest of you know, horrible stuff that yeah. we don't need to dwell on, we all know what know happened. What, know what happened? There was a debate about whether you erase him from history or you acknowledge that his work is his work and there will be some people who would argue that in an episode like this those Rolf Harris references would actually should be excised how, how do we feel about that I'm vehemently against any anything of that sort yeah vehemently against it I mean it's always dangerous to bring them up but no one scrubs the Nazis from history and their crimes are infinitely worse Rolf Harris was a disgusting human being but you know he created a body of work that people enjoyed then and probably still enjoy now and I don't see the reason to scrub someone That's... from history you just what are you scrubbing from history why are you scrubbing them from history yeah I, I... I mean are we so are we so weak today that we can't handle the fact that a man who entertained millions of people turned out to turn out to be fallible and committed terrible crimes so we can't handle that what is what's wrong with people yeah I, I can see two different sides I think there's a line uh, I know somebody who uh, grew up as a big Rolf Harris fan and this, this person now does a lot of part-time entertainment and trivia stuff. And they had a signed photo of Rolf Harris when they met him. It was one of their big, you know, deals as you know, somebody who thought of themselves as a variety performer, although not nearly on the scale. You know, this yeah. Rolf Harris was their idol and all the rest of that. And he said, look, when Harris was charged, he put it in a drawer. Knowing he would either take it out or throw it out when the, the jury came back. He said when it came back, he threw it out. It's the same as there's a shop um, here in Melbourne that, because uh, Harris, I don't know if he was in the UK, but certainly he was associated with selling a brand of paint. Yes. And he came along quite often if he did a, an advert or a pr- promotion uh, event at a store, he would do a painting, you know, one of his rubbish yeah. paintings on a wall or something. And there were store painters that have gone, look, that was there because we thought he was a great guy and we want to remember him being there. We now don't want that memory. We now don't want to celebrate him, so they got rid of it. Mm. I can understand that personal desire. Mm. I don't think that what Harris has done means you can't listen to two little boys and say that's not a nice piece of music i don't think it means that you can have a look at these jokes and say i don't want to talk about him mm, exactly. I, i'm very happy with him being no look you, you have to acknowledge that and and indeed at the time he was a legitimate entertainer mm, whilst who, he was abusing the, the, the flip side of that is at the same time he was abusing people yeah and i, I can look i can understand people not being able to split that yeah yeah but it's a you know it's a personal choice. If your friend wants to put his photo in the cupboard, great. But if you're an organisation that has these episodes or this music, it's it's not you can't just destroy that. I don't think. No, and I I think going back and excising him from stuff like this. I mean, look, you're clearly not going to go and have a Rolf Harris retrospective and pull mm. all his old episodes of no. his variety shows out and screen them. But what is essentially a passing reference? or a gag made at his expense in a show, I would think, I would have thought you we should be 
intelligent enough and mature enough to just deal with it. Okay, that was something that was a joke that was yeah. made at the time. It's it's it, Kate. Look, we now know what we know, but at the time, look, that was clearly a joke that was made then. Yeah, look, I, I think we're all broadly in agreement, but I appreciate why others might feel differently. And uh, look, interesting discussion. I think we'll touch more on Rolf Harris and his own relationship with the goodies themselves when we get to Scanning A little later, yep. Uh, but yeah, look, an important conversation to have there. Um, Sorry. I was going to say, I did have another one probably for the stuff you couldn't... I I think actually just saying to the music master, you're a loony, I I think you would probably do that joke a little differently now, perhaps. Yeah, loony isn't really a term that's used anymore. I I think for for appropriate reasons. Yeah. Again, I I think you could do the joke. I just don't know that you'd actually use the word, you're a loony. Yeah, and, and that's in part because I think our attitudes have changed. Changed a lot. And in part because language has probably changed. And our understanding well. has changed yeah. as well. Well, the equivalent today is to say that you're mentally ill and expect people to laugh in the audience. That That's true. That's true. Well, we've been very serious for a few minutes there, but I think appropriately so. But we'll bring it back with our favourite gags. Well, I know we were serious about Rolf Harris, but I'll, I'll, my favourite line is Rolf Harris has been stolen and now for some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I found that line to be particularly funny. Yeah, and look, it landed in 1971 and it lands in 2016. Yes, so. it does. I, I'm actually going to not go for a specific joke. I'm just going to go for the entrance of the music master because I think that is the absolute high point of the episode. I think actually when he comes in. Yeah, look, I, I had that one as one of my two options. Um, so I'll go for the other one, which is the Land of Hope and Glory sketch. Uh, I thought that was yes. really, really funny. But look, you could go with the whole sequence of the Music Master and the, the capture of him at the end. There's, there's so many just good little sequences or good little jokes. I mean, Silver Black's lines are memorable and funny. The Beatles jokes are memorable and funny. This is just a really good episode. I mm. think it's one of the iconic ones. I think you're right, Rob. We can say it's an iconic episode. Yes. Any final thoughts? It was a lot of fun to watch. Go go search it out. Go have a look at it. Okay, we will be back next week with Culture for the Masses. And until then... It's time for another walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. How kind of you to accept my little invitation. Ah, come on, we didn't have much choice. I'm so glad to have you with us. Your presence will be a most useful addition to our little gathering. Well, now we know what he looks like, we still don't know who he is, do we? You just leave this to me. I have a little trick up my sleeve that sometimes works. Watch this. Who are you?